Well, I'm left with this is George G, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Andrew Beatty. Andrew, are you ready to do this? I'm ready. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Andrew is co-founder and co-CEO of Beat App. It's a venture-backed streaming content auditor and fraud detection company for the music industry. Andrew, excited to have you on. Tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Yeah, it's, a, it's kind of a windy road. I actually started as a literary agent uh, for film and TV, so uh, selling book properties and uh, a lot of family animation stuff. Um, I started investing into tech companies at the beginning of uh, 2007 when it was the first one was into a Facebook company that was building Facebook games when it was still largely EDU-based and you had to have an EDU address to, to be on the platform. Uh, and you can only talk to your own silo of students. And so we were building technologies that circumvented those rules and allowed you to kind of uh, talk to other campuses <laughs> through games, basically. Uh, and so, so that was quite interesting. And I remember back then everyone telling me, you know, Facebook's for kids. This is never going to work. Like, no, no, even going to companies and saying, hey, you should jump on this Facebook thing. We're building these really cool games. You should participate. And they all look at us like we were stupid and say, like, Facebook's not going to make it. Like, this is not a thing. Uh, so really interesting times back then. We ended up growing um, that into an agency uh, and selling it. Um, and then, you know, after that, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. This is kind of important to beat that. But I decided to go back to grad school uh, and do my MBA. And that was 2011. And that's where I actually met my um, co-founder now for BTAP. We became super good friends. We were on a, a special select uh, team that was like a traveling case team for, for the master's program. And we'd go compete uh, in different case studies against other schools and whatnot. Um, and we just became like really, really fast friends. And um, we always knew we wanted to do something together, but we weren't really sure what. Um, at that time, he was a lobbyist, actually, helping extend copyright protection in Canada for most of the major labels. So he helped change the legislation from 50 to 70 years for, for copyright protection. And then I was on the promotional end. So remember, I was talking about Facebook stuff. Well, I was the guy that was like hacking Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Like if you wanted to get on the front page of YouTube, I was probably one of your first calls. <laughs> uh, you know, I was I was kind of that guy. And I learned how to change those kind of tactics into frameworks for growth. And from that point, I think I was a, a bit unstoppable uh, is what it felt like. I, I jumped into software and started using all of these tactics I'd learned for growth hacking, which was at the time we were just calling it online marketing. Now it's, I guess, technically more growth hacking uh, into growth frameworks and how to leverage that for products. So from that point forward, I actually grew and sold three additional companies. Um, and then in 2018, uh, Morgan and I were at a football game. And a large label uh, that we all go to football games with, because we're all still friends, said, hey, we have no idea how many times the song is played on a streaming service. We get a report that says, like, let's say, for example, Snoop Dogg did 100 million plays, but we don't actually know Snoop Dogg did 100 million plays. Like, we don't actually have the real data. We have to go and send auditors who are, like, visualize them as old men with pens and paper that, like, go in there and pull the server logs and one by one match it to the reports they were given for the times that says the song was delivered. And like in today's digital world, that's just impossible. It takes forever. And so now you have hundreds of streaming services or uh, use cases for your music. Like even think about like um, fitness streaming applications uh, that might use any of these use cases for music that need to be audited, but you have an offline auditing format. So they asked us to build an auditing tool 
And so that's really how we started BeatDap. And that's why it's called BeatDap is like, um, you know, beat like music and distributed application because we built it on top of a blockchain technology. Uh, the other kind of weird thing with that was I was everyone's weird crypto friend. I started mining in 2011 and, uh, and was sort of like the person you call when you're like, is this real or how do we do this? Or, uh, you know, what do you think of this? That's kind of the consigliere for crypto for a lot of people. Um, and so I think there was a belief that because I knew crypto, I, I knew blockchain, which is if anyone says, well, knows two different, very like different things. But, um, but I was like, yeah, I think I could probably build that. You know, it started a, like a little crypto club at work. We were building all kinds of crazy stuff. I already knew most of the engineers I would pull into something like this, but no one had ever done it before. Visa at the time was the fastest. They did 40,000 transactions a second. We needed to do over a million. So like a huge multiple or step forward in technology to make it possible. So I didn't know if we could do it. That's what made it so interesting to me. Um, we started solving this audit problem and we built a real-time tracking solution. So imagine if you're listening to a streaming service and as the song is being delivered to your phone, it's also going into our network and the streaming service is saying, hey, I recognize Andrew. He's played this song 30 seconds. He's in the right revenue generating tier. He's in the right location. All these rules. And then they say, this one counts for royalties and they sign it. The label also would see that same transaction say, we see Andrew and all those rules. And then BDAP sees it and says, we agree with both of you and we see Andrew and we sign it. So what you had was real-time tracking and reconciliation. So you no longer needed an offline auditor to come in because everyone agreed to the counts as they were happening in real time. So we we built, we beat the million. We're actually, we can do 10 million transactions per second. We have 40-ish patents uh, you know, around blockchain tracking technology for stream media. Um, but what the funny thing that happened was, is, uh, is as we're tracking, we're seeing all these weird anomalies. Like somebody played a song 30,000 times in a week and we all agreed every individual song counted, but that's actually impossible. Like a person can only play a song like maximum 3,000 times per week if they had it playing 31 seconds and they were skipping. So clearly this is a bot of some kind, or like this one shouldn't count. So we started discovering all these weird anomalies and like what looked like stream manipulation. So we went back to our partners and said, hey, we can't really do audit because there's this huge discrepancy of problems that are occurring where things that look like plays shouldn't be plays because that's not how people and, you know. So then we then, you know, realized everybody at the streaming level was kind of dealing with some forms of this, but they didn't have like a definition of what streaming fraud was. They didn't have clear, not everyone had clear rules about what counted and what didn't count. Like, do you count streams that are 3000? Do you count them if they came from multiple countries, but they were, you know, 46 countries in a week, like, which seems like clear fraud. So we were, we were sort of going through all of that stuff at that time. And that was probably two, three years ago. And then as we started developing those rules, we started building way more sophisticated, you know, machine learning algorithms, like unsupervised, supervised models that were looking for this fraud. And we just started catching way more of it. And we became the industry leader. So as of today, we are the leading industry fraud detection service. Um, and we do almost no audit. <laughs> uh, so our blockchain is no longer, I mean, we, the, I think the hope is eventually we could turn audit on for people because it makes sense for everyone. We're, like it's it's a it's a really great product that's fully built and flushed out and mature. Um, it's like the Ferrari of blockchains. However, um, we really have to solve fraud before we can ever solve audit, and so that's kind of the phase we're in now. And and from that, we're like we are the industry leader in fraud detection at this point. Nice work. 
<laughs> Dude, that, 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 uh, that, that's awesome. Super exciting. Crazy. So you were a literary agent. You got into Facebook games. Do you just understand how to, to do development or how did you learn all that? No, it was actually um, quite the opposite. So Facebook games was probably the one thing that worked out of like the 20 investment. One of two things that worked out of the 20 investments. Uh, I was just taking money and I didn't trust the stock market. <laughs> so I was just thinking, I don't really trust the stocks like because I don't know it well enough. It's not my area. But what I feel like I know is entrepreneurship. Um, I, you know, ever since I was a kid, like my dad, you know, uh, he gave me a lawnmower um, when I was 12 and I had to build like, I'm sure there's a story for a lot of people. We had to build like a little lawn mowing services business. Um, but he made me pay him back for the lawnmower. So I had this concept of like a loan. I had to pay back the loan. And as part of the interest on the loan, he made me um, actually mow the lawns of all the old ladies in our neighborhood. So there was three older women who were too old to mow their own lawn. And my dad made me do it for free in exchange for giving me a lawnmower. And I learned about bad deals at that point because uh, I had to mow their lawn for years for free, uh, which was definitely not worth the interest on whatever a four or $500 lawnmower is. Uh, <laughs> but you know, it is what it is. And I learned about, uh, I guess, giving back in community and a bunch of other stuff at that point. So I didn't really believe, uh, you know, I think at the time I hated them, probably cursed them every time I was mowing this old woman's lawn. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think it was such a valuable lesson to learn. And, and so again, I just kind of felt like I knew entrepreneurs really well. I, you know, always sort of had side businesses and hustles. And, and then when I had the, the, um, the literary agency job, I thought it was my dream job and, and, you know, it was the job everyone wanted to have, you know, especially in LA. Um, but it really wasn't my favorite job. Like I, I hate reading. I'm not a huge animation fan. The two things were basically 90% of my, my job. Uh, and I just thought, you know, I looked at my boss and he had the most miserable life from what I could tell, like just, just constant work. I remember his honeymoon photos had scripts on his laps as he's like reading, trying to catch up. And I'm like, this is, just not for me. So I started thinking about how do I invest outside of the space? And honestly, I just like every bad angel investor, just started investing in people I knew right around me, probably not the best deal flow. And then yeah, that included the kids that were building games that, you know, because remember, keep in mind, I was one of the youngest agents in the writer's field history. So I was like 19 when I started selling these major book properties, 1920. And, uh, and so I remember, um, I remember investing in these games. I was like 2021 20, with all the kids I hung out with, like kids that went to USC that I'd met, uh, UCLA that I'd met. Uh, I invested in a bad t-shirt company that went sideways, uh, you know, all kinds of weird stuff, uh, a bar restaurant. Cause you know, I thought that was cool. And then did a few more of those. And, but yeah, so the Facebook thing is just the thing that took off. And I think, as it started taking off, like my, my brain just started connecting dots. I could see it working and I could see how it could be used for music specifically. And I went to a bunch of musicians I knew and I said, what if instead of just the game, focus on the game, but what if we took those audiences and told them to buy something like your music? And uh, at the time, that was so novel. Like no one had owned audiences other than email and they thought I was crazy. And so I spent a year and a half building up this kid we found at a bonfire in Nantucket uh and launched him and he went number one iTunes number seven billboard in 2010 and just broke everything with no label um and really that's that was kind of the the sort of like um 
you know, the big, the big breaking point for us, because then every major label came, every huge artist, we were working with everybody at that point. And that was really my entry into music on the promotional side and just learning how all of these tools can be used to sort of help artists out. I think it's really cool and fascinating. So you're obviously good. You've talked about learning tactics and then developing frameworks for those. And you've done it in all these different complex systems. But you look at the stock market and you're like, I I don't get it or it just doesn't make sense to me. How do you think, how, how, how do you reconcile that? Yeah, I guess I just never get it. Like it just feels uh, <laughs> like I just don't like, I don't understand how a company can have such amazing fundamentals and then just move value because people perceive it differently. Like to me, that's never felt real. Um, if you make 400 million in cash, you're worth 400 million in cash. It's a multiple. Like that just seems obvious. Uh, I don't know. I just, I guess the headline risk and the way that things move, that doesn't seem like it's, it's truly should, it doesn't feel market. I know this is every finance person out there is like, you're an idiot, but like in, in my brain, it just doesn't click. It doesn't click for me. Like it just doesn't. And then I'm like, so what's the benefit? Like, you know, um, I remember putting, uh, you know, not a huge, but a significant six figure sum into stocks probably back in 2012 or something. And I, and I, I remember, um, I remember at a financial, I went and found a financial manager. I was like, you're my safety net. Here's some money. Cause I don't understand what you do. Like, please just outperform me. Uh, and they didn't, I outperformed them every quarter. And I just was like, and, and all I did was pick specific socks that I thought I had a gut instinct on or that like seemed to make sense to me. Um, but it didn't feel like repeatable. Uh, you know, like I, I would pick one or two, you know, like I picked, uh, um, hydrogen one because I heard that they were like, Basically, Hydrogen One's a uh, like a utility company in Canada, and I'd heard that they were privatizing it. I'm like, in what world does a monopoly privatize and then not manipulate the the price that they charge people? Like, if there's no competition, they're going to charge people as much as they can, and the stock's going to go up. And it's like exactly what happened. It just seemed logical to me. Uh, but I mean, how do you do that twenty times over actively trading? So I just assumed that people knew more than me, so I gave them money. Um, and it didn't matter anyway, because honestly, around the same time, I started acquiring just an absolute boatload of crypto and uh, like obviously have outperformed them <laughs> in crypto, no matter how the market is today. So anyway, yeah, I just don't get it. I don't, I still don't get it. I, I don't, I own zero. Well, I don't say zero. I probably own like less than 50 grand of stocks. Like I don't really pay attention to it at all. Fair enough. I appreciate you answering my question. So. <laughs> it, it was impossible to do 1 million transactions a second. And now you're doing 10 million transactions a second. Is that hard to do? Is that easy to do? Yeah. The, the thing was back then there wasn't a, um, even today to some extent, there wasn't like a forum with all this code. You could just copy paste. Like you truly had to figure out how do all these nodes interoperate? How do you network them together? when they start getting confused, something happens called orphan blocks because they can't process. Like, what do you do with all these halfway done transactions? And in, in music royalties, you can't just like forget they exist because it's someone's money. So there was a lot of problems to work through. Um, 
And I think once we worked them through for a million, we realized that like a horizontally scalable path to like, basically it's called paralyzed processing where you just do the same thing in multiple lanes. And so we're, that's the best way to visualize it. So instead of one lane of traffic, you're creating like 14 lanes of traffic, but they're all still going the same direction. Um, and once we figured that out, we just uh, going from 1 million to 10 million, super easy. Going from that 40,000 to 1 million, one of the hardest things we've ever done. Uh, and then once we had it done, it truly was infinitely scalable. Like we could have gone to 30 million transactions. You just increase the number of lanes you have. So there's some extra building, just like you build roads. But generally speaking, like that's the hard, the easiest part. The hardest part was, you know, blasting that road through the mountain. <laughs> that was like the, the hardest part to begin with. So talking about uh, fraud, talking about manipulation, now that you've done it, can other people, for lack of a better term, rip off what you've done? Uh, I think the technology, I think the technology can, it can I mean, it's machine learning and it's, uh, it's always evolving. We use a lot, of, uh, it's hot now, but we use a lot of AI for prediction stuff and, and um, trying to see if we were right or wrong. And if we're really wrong, then that might be a signal that you know we need to go back and reevaluate um, because we think it might be fraud or whatever. So I would say we're like, you know, we have a really brilliant team that's well funded and is pretty far along the path. So, um, so one, I would say technology can always be ripped off, but I think the thing that can't be ripped off is relationships because we're the industry leader and because we've been selected as the company. Um, I just don't see a short-term scenario of someone coming in and replacing us. It's just so hard to switch these products out. And there's so many dependencies from like product teams at the streaming services that use us or management teams that use us. So it'd be really hard for someone to replace you only because they would replace you with the same thing. And I think these services are just risk averse. So it really was a land grab in the beginning, which is why we we're so quiet about what we were doing. We never did press. We always um, just, you know, uh, I don't know, there's a concept called the boiling frog. You put, a, you put a, a frog in water before it's hot and then you turn the pot on. They don't jump out because they don't realize it's getting hot till it's too late. It's kind of the same thing with the industry. Like we came in, we were quiet. We worked with all the biggest partners. We got all of our technology adopted across. And then by the time the rest of the industry figured out, we were already the industry leader and we were kind of cemented our position. So that's kind of how we approached it. So I would say it's always possible. Every incumbent in history has been displaced. Uh, it's just a matter of time, right? Um, I just hope that that time is 100 years from now <laughs> or at least after we sell the company <laughs> at some point in the future. Me too. But, uh, but right now, I feel like we're pretty stable. Yeah, things things are you know, great. And, um, and also there's lots of other types of product we probably don't work on. So these companies that are doing stuff can, can look at other sort of like sectors of fraud or other ways that frauds occurring in the music industry, um, other than stream manipulation. The reason we're hyper-focused on this one problem is, um, you know, last year we shifted market share back to rights owners by 18%. So you're talking about like billions of dollars a year being stolen. It's not like a, small problem. It's two to three billion annually being taken taken from artists and labels. And so we're just hyper focused on that one problem. We think there's a huge business there. It's growing. Um, that number is going to reach seven billion by 2030 in terms of theft annually. So you're talking about a huge, huge problem in, in a market that we're well positioned to solve. And instead of trying to own everything for everyone, we're just really hyper focused on just doing that one thing extremely well.
Love it. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you and how can they engage with BeatDap? Yeah, they can go to BeatDap.com. Uh, you know, this isn't for us. Like we, we do these podcasts and stuff like this more because uh, we're excited to tell our story finally. As I said, we were quiet for so long. So um, we're happy to, you know, engage with people. They can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Andrew Beatty. Um, they can approach Morgan. Morgan Hayduke is also on, on, on LinkedIn. Um, and my other co-founder, Poria Asadapur, he's, a, he's our CTO. But if anyone ever wants to reach out, like we're multiple time founders. We've been through it a lot. If anyone has any questions, like we're always open. We, we kind of keep an open door policy for people. Awesome. Well, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Andrew your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to beatdap.com. It's B-E-A-T-D-A-P-P.com and check out everything we've been talking about today and learn a little bit more about how they are working to solve a big problem that will only get bigger. So thanks again, Andrew. Thanks for having me. And until next time, remember, do your part by doing your best.